0: Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi this is Bob Bostock and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Gary Buchanan, Director of the Division of Science, Research and Environmental Health and Bruce Rupel, Environmental Specialist, to talk about DEP's Fish Smart Eat Smart Guide. This is a guide to health advisories for eating fish and crabs caught in New Jersey's waters. It's a very helpful guide for anglers and all those who eat the fish that they catch because it lets you know if perhaps the fish you catch might not be the wisest thing to eat, but also to let you know what fish that you catch are perfectly fine for eating and the information about that. So it's a really helpful guide that DEP provides and we're here to learn a little bit more about the guide and some of the science behind the guide. So I am going to start by asking Gary to tell us a little bit about the study that contributed to the most recent update of the Fish Smart Eat Smart Guide, because this is not just a static product that stays out there forever. The environment changes, conditions change, so we have to keep up to date on it. So Gary, tell us a little bit about the study that did lead to the update of the guide.
1: Bob, thank you for having us today. It's my pleasure to be here. First, I'd like to say to the folks out there, fishing is a great recreational activity, and we encourage the public to enjoy it. New Jersey has great freshwater and saltwater locations to fish for a wide variety of species. I also want to point out that the fish advisories we're going to talk about today are health advice to the public and not an actual regulation. A little bit of background on advisories, too. New Jersey has an interagency toxics and biotic committee consisting of three departments, including environmental protection, health and agriculture. All three departments on this committee work to provide advice to the public so they can make informed decisions about what recreational fish to eat and how much. This process started more than 30 years ago and came about when contaminants such as mercury, PCBs, and dioxin were detected in some New Jersey fish and crabs. So let me tell you a little bit about the most recent study. The 2017 fish advisory updates were based on fish collected and analyzed in 2015 and 2016 in the Atlantic coastal plain region of southern New Jersey. Now, this study built upon many studies that were done previously or historically. There have been numerous studies collecting and analyzing fish and crabs for contaminants over the past many years, and this 2017 fish advisory is an update on that.
0: So, Gary, Altogether, how many samples did you take and and how did you go about collecting all those samples, designing the study, and then coming up with the recommendations?
1: Bob, yes. We collected 171 fish samples total for this most recent update to our advisories. The study design, site selection, and target species was developed from research conducted over the years by the Division of Science Research and Environmental Health and our partner, the DEP Bureau of Freshwater and Biological Monitoring who did all the hard work. They collected the fish, cataloged and processed the fish, and then shipped them to the contract lab for analysis.
0: We had an interesting podcast a little while ago talking to the folks who go out and collect the fish with the little electric probe to shock them. So there's also a link directly to that podcast in the description of these. So you can hear not only what the end result of those efforts were, but also how we go about collecting those samples from the fish. And I should uh, remind everybody, and we heard this the other day, these samples are collected without doing any harm to the fish at all. And that's very important as well.
2: Correct. That's the same people and same methods that we use for
0: this fish study as well.
1: Great. Great. I'm going to ask Bruce to talk a little bit more about that particular study.
2: Thank you, Gary. We collected samples from 20 water bodies around the state throughout the Atlantic Coastal Inland region. That's a region that extends from Monmouth County down through the Delaware Bay.
0: So these are both freshwater and saltwater fish? All
2: freshwater fish on this portion of the project. Okay. We have another marine project that's on undergoing right now, and we'll be looking at coastal fish and estuarine fish. In that. Okay. So this is the, the freshwater p- component of the coastal inland waters in that. The water bodies that we sampled varied in size greatly, from small ponds to reservoirs. We did, for example, we collected fish from Harrisville Lake, Batstow Lake, and East Creek Ponds. These are less than 100 acres and some down to 50 acres in that all the way up to Manisquan and Swimming River Reservoir up in Monmouth County, which are fairly large water bodies for the central part of the state.
0: And are these fish that are naturally occurring in these water bodies, they're not fish that are stocked by our fish and wildlife folks, are they?
2: For the most part, these are fish that are are, are native to, to the waterways. There is stocking that goes on in certain species in that that we, we fish for in the state. These are all recreationally sought after fish. These aren't fish that are uh, that feed on other fish per se, and that might be smaller members. These are are targeted game fish, so that people catch them, they take them, they eat them. We want to advise them about the level of contaminants there and the advice that goes with it. Great. Of the 171 samples we collected, we analyzed all of those for mercury, which is the most ubiquitous contaminant that we have in the state, and as a matter of fact, in the country.
0: Now, why is there so much mercury in the environment? Uh, you know, I think of you know mercury in the thermometer back in the old days before they used to be able to stick a thing in your ear and get your temperature and you know of course when I was a kid in school we used to be given blobs of mercury to pay, play with on our desk you know to see how that was which probably wasn't a good idea but why do we have so much mercury in the environment
1: Bob uh, yes the the sources of mercury are varied there is a natural background of mercury which can come from volcanoes and other areas but specifically the burning of coal is the major source of mercury emissions to the air and this mercury falls out onto our into our watersheds and eventually wash into our water bodies where the mercury is actually biomagnified as you move up the food chain. Mm. So the, the older, larger, as well as the predators tend to have much higher levels of mercury than smaller, younger, or non-predator type fish.
0: So Bruce, that's why you're looking for mercury first of all because that also, ingesting too much mercury has real bad health effects.
2: That's, that's exactly right. But we also look for other contaminants as well mm-hmm. uh, as a side component for certain species. We know that mercury is not the most dominant contaminant there in them. Mercury is usually found in the higher trophic level fish. These are the bass, the pickerel, the predatory fish that feed on other fish that are lower in the food chain for species like carp or catfish or, or American eel. They're not that high level predator they don't accumulate mercury as readily as these others but they do accumulate other contaminants like pcbs or pesticides or mm-hmm. even dioxin so we have a, a bifurcated sampling system where we look for the predators for mercury and in some cases pcbs if we have some history of it and for the, the benthic species we look for pcbs and chloridine and things of that
0: nature and we're doing that because if a human eats fish or too many fish that have those contaminants in them that tends to since we're we're at the top of the food chain since we we're talking about You know, the the higher you're up on the food chain, the more you tend to get. That can pose some real health problems.
1: Yes, Bob. Mercury can damage the nervous system. We're particularly concerned with unborn young children uh, because high levels of mercury can result in developmental and learning delays. PCBs are another concern. They have been determined to be carcinogenic or cause cancer based on animal studies. And there's strong evidence that they're associated with human cancers also, at least some cancers.
0: Now, how do the PCBs get into the environment?
1: Well, again, PCBs are considered a, a PBT or persistent bioaccumulative, and toxic. Once they're released into the environment, they tend to stick around. They don't degrade. They end up in the fatty tissue of on the food chain. So if you eat fish and eat the fat, you're going to end up with the PCBs in your body.
0: And do they mostly get in through the air as well? There are burning. some
1: some PCBs, yes, are deposited via the air. The majority is deposited, say, through either spills. Old transformers on telephone poles used to have PCBs in them before they were switched out, and other sources through stormwater or wastewater discharge.
0: And of course, for a long time, there were no regulations about discharging PCBs into waterways. That's correct. Yeah, and since they're persistent... Some of these PCBs may have been there a very long time. Yes, that's correct. Yeah,
2: These are considered legacy contaminants. Yeah. Contaminants that, really, we are not manufacturing them anymore. We're not even using them anymore, except for once they are get replaced yeah. in, out of the systems and that. But they're still there in the sediments. They're on the land base as well, and some manufacturing activity that had them, they'll be on, ba- on soil in there. They get washed off into the system, to the streams,
1: and fish pick them up. Right, and PCBs were banned in the late <laughs> 1970s. 1970s. Mm-hmm
0: and they're still out there. They're like the guest that never leaves. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, Bruce, a little bit more about the testing that goes on. We've mentioned the three chemicals so far. Are there other things that we test for?
2: Uh, Those are the primary ones. We look for some pesticides as well, these uh, organochlorinated pesticides, which would be the DDTs, Chloridane, and some other lesser chlorinated compounds, which tend to, again, accumulate very high in, in the tissue, if present. Well, in most recent data, we see very little of the chlorinated compounds still in existence. There are a few hot spots that show up in previous studies, we found them, but by and large in the fish tissue, they tend to be the lowest concentration of any of the contaminants that we find. That's Uh, good news. That's very good news. We do find in certain locations, certain regions, there'll be a dioxin contamination that'll be continuous in the system. Not in this study here, but in previous studies that we're showing up. But again, mercury is the one that's ubiquitous. PCBs follow behind that, and then to a lesser degree, the pesticides.
0: So, when you find in the samples uh, these various chemicals that are present in the in the fish that you have sampled, does that mean we shouldn't eat the fish at all, or are, are there some? Is there some safe level of number of fish you can eat, or how how does that work?
2: Actually, the advisories that we put out are again there are two types of advisory. We advise for the general population, and we advise for a high risk group. A high risk group is composed of Women of childbearing age, young children, and women who are expected to become pregnant. The general population is everybody else. Mm -hmm. Our advisory criteria that we use is, again, bifurcated to the two populations the high risk group has a criteria that is much lower than the general population because we're concerned about pcbs and these other contaminants crossing the placental barrier they're mm-hmm. also found in mother's milk mercury the same way will also you know, across the placental barrier and impact on born people on poor children and the general population is exposed to higher levels in general just in the in bio population we're concerned about the sensitive population which is the high risk group mm-hmm. and our advisories are geared in that fashion. So that when you look at our advisories, and our advisories can range from um, no restriction, which is no advisory, to once a week, one meal a week, once a month, uh, all the way to do not eat. And the do not eat is really there to protect the high risk or sensitive population.
0: So it's a whole range depending on what you found in the samples and then what the the health risk would be to the various individuals whether high risk or... Or the non It's definitely
2: geared toward a frequency consumption based advisory.
0: Well, that's good to know because, you know, fish is part of really a, there's so many beneficial things that we get out of eating fish. Uh, they're they're good for us. They have nutrients that are really helpful to, for a well-balanced diet. So we wouldn't want people to think they should just stop eating fish.
1: Bob, yes, fish are an important part as you just mentioned of a healthy diet. We encourage the public to eat fish. They're an excellent source of protein, minerals, and vitamins, are low in fat and cholesterol, and are important in a healthy, well-balanced diet. So we encourage folks to eat fish low in mercury and high in omega-3 fatty acids. Anglers tend to fish the same locations and eat the same type of fish. We recommend they look at our advisory booklet for waters they fish and the fish they eat. And we recommend they eat smaller amounts of several different types of fish rather than a large amount of one type that may be high in contaminants.
0: So what is your recommendation for maybe the top three fish that people really should eat that have low levels of contamination and have the best levels of nutrients and omega Omega-3, is that it? Yeah, omega-3 fatty omega-3. acids exactly right. Good.
2: We have, uh, again, our advisories are based in several different directions. There's people that just want to know, can I eat the fish or mm. can't I eat the fish? And We have a general advice for freshwater fish of don't eat any more than one meal a week for the general population or one meal a month for mm. the high-risk group. So if you know nothing about freshwater fish in New Jersey, and this also applies to a lot of other places, but definitely New Jersey, no more than one meal a week. To more than one meal a month, depending on the population. But then we also have species specific advisories on a statewide basis. So we know something about the five or six top species that anglers catch and generalize the information in that. And that's in the booklet as well.
0: How can people find this information out? Is it available on the web, or do we have a booklet that we send out, or how do we make this available to anglers and others?
1: Bob, yes. Folks, go to our Fish Advisory website for more detailed information about the waters you fish or the fish you eat. And that's www.fishsmarteatsmartnj.org.
0: And we have that website, a link to it on the description of this podcast, so people can look there as well for it.
1: There's also an interactive map on that website that you can access via your computer or your smartphone. So you can go in there and just pull up the lake you fish at and the advisories will come right up.
0: And is that app a separate app or do people get it through the uh, website that you mentioned a moment ago?
1: Uh, it's, it's on the website itself. Right. You can click on it to go to the interactive map.
0: Yeah, I've seen that map work when you first rolled it out and it was quite impressive. You know, you see, a, I like to fish in this lake or in this stream and you just go and click right on there and it gives you all the information you need to know about that particular location.
1: There's also a lot of other information on the website, including links on how to eat fish healthy, how to prepare and cook your fish and shellfish. Again, we've spoken mostly about freshwater advisories, but there's also a link for our marine water advisories. And also, as he said, the full guide, the full booklet, which provides a lot of information.
0: And it's a very comprehensive booklet, but also I think a very easy to read booklet. It's got a lot of information that you don't have to be a phd scientist to be able to understand i am as far from a phd scientist as you can get and i was able to figure it out so that means anybody can figure it out <laughs> but it's really it's really very very helpful now bruce you mentioned that the marine the marine study the study of marine fish is ongoing right now Correct. um when do you expect that that will be completed
2: We're hoping to get the results, the rest of the sampling, from this fall and into the spring. We'll take about six to eight months for our chemical analysis, we'll get the data back, we'll share the data with the Toxic Symbiotic Committee, we'll evaluate for advisories and then upgrade our revisions of the advisories that exist and if any new advisories have to be put on. Most of the time, what we've been seeing in this last round of study, especially in freshwater, was that we were seeing most of the advisories stayed the same. Mm-hmm. So, by and large, most of us, last time we sampled these waters was 2007, 2017, the levels have stayed the same. However, about a third of the samples, we saw that the advisories actually went down, meaning that we're seeing less of the contaminants in the fish. So that's a good sign. And I think that has to deal with the, the way the department has gone about controlling local emissions.
0: That's a really good point, and it's a really good thing for us to point to, the fact that we are seeing reductions in the fish of certain contaminants. It means the work that's going on here at DP and the people who are working particularly on reducing emissions and discharges and everything else, we're seeing some real results. So it's great to see that sort of work going on and, and also cooperation with the industries and others who have been producing these contaminants to see that those are going down as well.
2: One of the other things that we have on the website methodology that we describe on how to reduce contaminants of the fish that you catch already. Now for the chlorinated pesticides, the PCBs and the like, they tend to be what's called lipophilic. That means they're attached to the fatty portions of the fish. So we recommend that you don't eat whole fish. The fatty portions of the fish are any of the internal organs, eggs, roe, the head within the head. So we say eat only the fillet. Mm -hmm. Now within the fillet you still have what's called a lateral line and sometimes they call that the dark meat. That has a lot of lipids in it so by removing the dark meat and a stretch along the belly flap and the back strap you're eliminating a lot of the chlorinated contaminants that are possibly there thereby our advisories are based upon raw fish whole filet skin off so we know that's the level that's there by physically removing these you're reducing the amount you're exposed to and then we recommend cooking on an elevated rack so that any drippings fall off of the fish and not contained within the coatings of the fish.
0: That's great. And do you have specific recipes you recommend? I know we're not a cooking show here, but... Funny you should mention that. We In
2: the brochures, we have these brochures that we've created over time, excuse me for the sound effect here, and include everything from how to catch a catfish and clean a catfish, and how to do a carp. We have it in several languages. We have uh-huh. a lot of our brochures in Chinese, Korean, Portuguese, Spanish, And these apply to everything that we we deal with in specific locations. One of the other aspects about fish contamination is that mercury cannot be removed from the fillet. Mm -hmm. These are for fish that you have PCBs uh, or chlorinated compounds in that. Mercury attaches to the actual tissue within the fillet. And it's fairly uniform within the fillet, so you can't just take one little section out and expect to get away from there. It's there and that can't be removed and it can't be cooked out. Okay. So for the PCBs and pesticides and those things that may be in fish, even if they're in low levels, you remove those portions of the fish and, and, and reduce the consumption that way, and that way.
0: But for the mercury, that's in even the fillets?
2: That, that can't be removed.
0: Okay. Well, that's good to know. And it's good to know there are some recipes here for fish. Uh, you know, if we had set up, maybe we could have fried some fish here today. But uh, we're not set up for that.
2: <laughs> but the brochures do have full-color full, full color layouts on how to prepare fish. That's great. It also has recipes and warnings and advisories on what to do and what not to do. And how do people get those brochures? These are on the website itself. You can download them and you can carry them out whatever species that we have advisories for, you can take them there and do that. Also on the website, we have a storyboard sheet for each lake, as you mentioned that before. So, if someone is fishing, for example, Manasquan Reservoir, they click on our website go to Manosquan Reservoir, all the information is there. The current advisories that just came out, for example, that are revised, the advisories that are there for the species, the water body specific advisories, the general information there, and it's all in one sheet. Mm -hmm. They can print it out and take it with them so they have it with them when they go fishing.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, Gary, as you mentioned earlier, recreational angling is one of the great outdoor activities here in the state of New Jersey. We have both in freshwater and marine waters and saltwater. A wide variety of fish, a lot of really good eating, and really a great day out on a river or a lake or, or in the surf or out on a boat to catch some of these fish. It's a really great way to enjoy the outdoors here in New Jersey. And the information that is being provided through the Fish Smart, Eat Smart guide makes sure that once you bring those fish home, you're preparing them properly to reduce any risks so that the only risk that you have is maybe getting a sunburn when you're out there catching the fish. And that's the way it should be. At some point, we'll have to have a thing about sunscreen and stuff and how to protect yourself that way. But I think most people probably know it. But this is a lot of great information, and it's science-backed. This is not anecdotal information. This is backed by a lot of rigorous science, a lot of rigorous analysis, both not only of the contaminants that are in the fish, but how those contaminants affect human health. So this is information that folks can rely on. And it is not meant to frighten anybody, it's meant to inform people so that they can make smart decisions about the fish that they eat, which is exactly the title of the thing. Fish smart, eat smart, and you'll enjoy many, many years of recreational angling and awfully good eating with a lot of the great fish we have here in the state of New Jersey. So I want to thank both of you very much for taking time on uh, today's a gorgeous day. I'm sure you both rather would be out at the other end of the line in the water catching some fish. I appreciate your coming in and talking with us about DEP's Fish Smart Eat Smart Guide. Everybody, I urge you, if you eat fish or if you're an angler, go to the website. The link is on the description of this podcast. There's so much great information there for you to know and to learn about the fish that you're catching and the precautions that you should take if needed to make sure that when you're eating that fish, you're not eating things that you would rather not. So Gary, Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.